Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here, and thanks for worshiping with us today. If you're joining us online, thanks for worshiping with us there as well. Today we're going to be talking, it's already been mentioned, we're going to be talking about how does faith work in our planning? How does faith work um, in the midst of our planning? And we've been working our way through the book of James. And so if you're just jumping in with us, this is the, the book that we've been studying. And James' main concern is that we have a growing and maturing faith. He wants us to have a faith that's not just something that we say we have, but have a genuine faith that's demonstrated by the practices of our life, how it lives itself out in our daily practice. And so part of that question is, if I'm claiming to have faith, then how does that integrate in the midst of my day-to-day life decisions, my plans, and the things that I'm pursuing. And so today we get to talk about how does faith work in the midst of our planning. Now, it's already been mentioned, and you know this, we're in graduation season right now, aren't we? Um, Which is fun. This is a season of of celebrations and parties and all the graduating seniors. In fact, this last week, our high school ministry put on a a special grad night for all of our graduating seniors. It was a fantastic night of celebrating and encouraging our students and families were a part of it. It was a whole lot of fun. And that's what graduation time is for, lots of celebrating. Now, in the midst of all the celebrations, in the midst of all the parties, Every single senior knows this, and if you've been there, you know this too. There is one question that they get over and over and over again. Do you know what question I'm talking about that they get asked over and over again? (laughs) What's next, right? That's the big question. What's going to happen after graduation? What are your plans? That's always the big question. What are your plans? Now, it's a legitimate question, isn't it? And whether we ask the question or not, every single senior has it on their mind of like, what's next? What's my plans? And even if they don't know what their plan is, they're thinking about it all of the time. And all of us go through seasons and times of life, which we are, you know, making big decisions and we're trying to come up with plans and understand the plan and what we should be pursuing. There's big planning moments in life. But did you know We make decisions and plans on a daily basis, a lot of them. In fact, researchers say that we make 35,000 decisions a day. Let that sink in for a moment. That averages out to 2,000 decisions every hour. That's one decision every two seconds, okay? So when you come home tired at the end of the day, that's why. You've been making decisions all day long. You've been planning and deciding things all day long. We make decisions every single day. The question is, well, how does my faith, if I have faith in God, integrate into the decisions and the plans that I make? That's the big question. But there's different ways that we can approach planning. And so what I'd want to do is just begin by stepping back and saying, here's two different uh, approaches to planning and just throw them out there to see where do you land in terms of how you tend to approach life decisions and planning in life. Okay, so here's the question. How do you approach planning? Let me give you two kind of different ways of looking at it. The first one is this. The plan never works, so stop planning. Ever felt that way? 
Some of you are like, every time I plan something out, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't work the way that I want to, so why try? It just is too stressful. It never works the way that I want it to work, so I'm just going to stop planning. And you become kind of a, a pivot person, okay? You go through life where you're like, I don't know what the plan is. I'll just pivot to what feels right in the moment because everything seems to be changing. I will just be a pivot person, right? That's kind of the orientation um, of kind of one way of looking at how you approach planning. Now, there's a second approach. This is the, the plan needs to work, so stick to the plan. And this is a little bit different. This is the person who's like, hey, no, I, 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 there needs to be a plan. You like organization. You want structure. There needs to be a process. And yes, things can change, but we can't I don't like change. I don't like pivoting. So there's the process. Stick to the plan. That's how it works. And that kind of orientation is more of a a process. Where's a process? I stick to it. That's the plan. And that's kind of another way of looking at that. Where where do you tend to land? Now, I know life is more complicated than just one or the other, but all of us probably tend to lean one way or the other in terms of how we approach planning. And maybe you're related to someone who's your opposite or you're married to someone who is your opposite. You're like, they don't want to plan, but you're like, I need a plan. I need to know what the plan is. And they're like, it'll be fine. Just go with it. And you just kind of have that kind of two different orientations in life. Now, we all know that life is far more complicated than one or the other, um, but we tend to maybe be drawn one way or the other, but we need both, don't we? We need to be able to pivot in life as well as process and say, here's a plan that we got to follow. And so what I want to do is step back for a moment and just talk about the greatest pivot and the greatest process that we can commit ourselves to, okay? Because this is so incredibly important. It will help us with the rest of the study that we're going to be looking at today in James. And so here's the first one this. Life's greatest pivot, are you ready? Is to give your life to Jesus. That is life's greatest pivot. And here's why this is a pivot. It's a pivot because it means that you recognize my plans, my way, all the things that I'm putting my hope and trust in, I need to abandon that pivot and say I'm going to trust in God's plan, His way. I'm going to put my hope in Him. That is the greatest pivot anyone can ever make in their entire life. Abandoning hope in your own plans, in your own, um, you know, all of your own ways of controlling things and saying, God, I need to trust you and put my faith and trust in you and your plans. The greatest pivot anyone can ever make. Now, in some ways, this seems kind of uncomplicated, just trust in Jesus. But it can also be very challenging, and I just want to be very honest with you about it. Because the challenge is this. The challenge for anyone who make, who's, who's you know, faced with that pivot decision, the challenge is to say, I'm no longer going to trust in me. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? But I'm going to trust in someone else. That's the big challenge. And if you were to step back for a moment and just go, you know what? My plans don't always work. Uh, I can't see the future, so I don't even know exactly how to plan. And all the things that I want to control, I can't control. Even where I go after I die, like after life, I don't have control over that. The sooner you can recognize you don't have all the plans, the control, all of the hope doesn't all land on you, the sooner you can say, oh, 
it's not so challenging now to trust God who does have a plan of salvation, who does want to walk with us because he sees ahead, and he's got a plan for my future, not just here on earth, but for eternity. Okay, trust in Jesus. That's the greatest life pivot you could ever make. And I know that not everyone here has made that decision yet, but today could be your day. Today could be the day that God has brought you here to this church for you to just, if nothing else, stop and say, maybe I need to stop trusting in my plan and start looking to God for his plan for my life. And you make the pivot to give your life to Jesus, to trust in him. The question you may have is, well, how do I know that Jesus is trustworthy, right? Good question. Well, here's how we can know Jesus is trustworthy. This is actually how you can know anyone is trustworthy. If they do what they say they're going to do. That's a trustworthy person. If they say, this is what I'm going to do, and then they do it, I can trust you. And guess what? Jesus does what he said he would do. God said, I love you. And it wasn't just words. He demonstrated by his actions. In the scripture, it says this, that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is no greater love than so that someone could display or show than to lay down one's life for a friend. And that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us. Is he trustworthy? You bet he is. He died for you. He demonstrated his love, not just words, but actions. That's why he is so trustworthy. And we can say, pivot, most important pivot decision in my life, trust in Jesus. And if you haven't done it yet, I encourage you to consider who he is and what he has done for you to abandon faith and confidence in yourself and put your full faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the greatest life pivot you could ever make. Now, if you have made that pivot, made that decision to give your life to Christ, then here's life's greatest process. Are you ready? To grow through a process of discipleship. Once you've placed your faith in Christ, then it's a process and you stick to that process by the way, you stick to that plan of saying, I'm going to uh, be a disciple. You know what a disciple means? A disciple means a follower or a learner. And so if you've pivoted and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you say, I'm going to stick to a process where I'm learning what it means to follow Jesus, and I give my life to a lifelong process of him transforming me and changing me. That is discipleship, life's greatest process. Now, if you've done both of those things, pivoted and committed your life to a process of following Jesus, then the, the question that you have to ask is, well, how about now with my faith in Jesus and a, a wanting to follow him, how does that impact and integrate into my planning? They're not separated. And James wants to be very clear. You have a growing, maturing faith. Guess what? It's going to impact all sorts of areas of your life, including your plans. Sometimes we like to do this with our plans, but we got to lay them before the Lord and say, ah, it's, it's my faith that still is connected here to, as well. And so this is where James chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, is so helpful because he gives great instruction on how we can approach a, a life of faith, a growing life of faith, even in the midst of our plans. And so 
What I want to do is invite you to turn your Bibles to, to James chapter 4, if you haven't found your way there. If you don't have a Bible, the passage is printed for you in the, the handout you received on your way in, um, as, as well as some notes. But I just want to invite you to, to pull that out, find James chapter 4, and then let's stand in honor of God's Word, and we'll take a look at the passage together. What I'd like to do is just read it, just a few verses, and then we'll sit down and we'll, we'll look at it verse by verse together. But we stand for, in honor of God's word, and let, let me just read it for you. Beginning in verse 13, all the way to verse 17, it says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at this together. Starting in verse 13, um, James, who's been challenging us the past couple of chapters or, or you know, points that we've been looking at to live a humble life, to live humbly. And, and right again, he's just saying that same humility needs to be brought into your planning, your decision making. And so if you're a note taker and you kind of want to follow the outline, it's this, the beginning part, the first verse is about the boastful claim, the boastful claim that he's confronting that any one of us can make um, very, very easily as a plan without God. Look at verse 13. It says this, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. So he, he's talking to someone who's making plans, and he's saying, listen, all of you who are making plans. And as you look at this verse closely, this is a very thorough plan. Even though it's kind of generally spoken, that's kind of what he's talking about, there is still all sorts of elements of a plan within this statement. I'll just show you. There's, first of all, the when, um, today or tomorrow. So there's already a thought to when is this plan going to take place. Then um, it's not just the when, there's the where. We will go to this uh, or that city. So they're thinking about not just the when, but the where they're going to go. And it's not just the where, it's also the what. We're going to carry on business. And so we have a plan. We're going to carry on business. And then the last question is, well, why, right? Why? And the reason why is they want to make money. So you've got a full-fledged plan going on here. And that's what's, what he's, he's talking to. Now, the question is, is God opposed to planning is there something wrong with coming up with a plan and having all the different pieces and the parts of a plan work thought through and being strategic about it? No. In fact, God talks about the wisdom of planning. In, in Proverbs, uh, it says this, 21 verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So he's saying, listen, it's, you're, you're going to gain something if you're diligently planning, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So there's the opposite. The person who doesn't plan just kind of goes for it. They're, they're missing it. And so God is for planning and diligent planning at that. Then in, in Ephesians 5, it also says this, be careful then how you live. So he's cautioning, Paul, the Apostle Paul's cautioning us how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. So he wants us to be wise with the, the moments of our life. Why? Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So we're going to make the most of our opportunities. That takes thought. 
It takes wisdom. It takes planning. So God is not opposed to planning. In fact, he encourages it, and he encourages wise planning. So listen, all you who are planners, good for you. It's a good thing. I love plans. And I have not just plans, but I have backup plans, okay? And I've got backup to my backup plans. And I'm constantly thinking strategically, what am I supposed to do here? How am I going to do this? And that's okay. Many of you think that way as well. That's not a bad thing. God is not opposed to it. But what is missing in this plan? God is missing in this plan, isn't it? Isn't he? If you claim to have faith, and then there is no recognition of God in the midst of your planning, there's a disconnect. And that's what James wants us to see. God's not against planning. He's against presumption. Planning without him. The most important element is left out of the equation. Not that you and I would ever do that, though, right? Not that you and I would ever make plans and forget God in the process. Not that you and I would ever make a plan and then come to God later and say, God, here's the plan. Can you rubber stamp it for me? Because I'm ready to go. You ever been there? That's what James is talking about here. He's saying they're missing it. And then to drive the nail even deeper, he begins to tell a couple of reasons why it's a problem. And so if you're a note taker, here's the bottom line. That's kind of, I see in verse 14, a couple of bottom line statements of why it's foolish for us to plan without God in the equation. And so here's kind of the two bottom line truths. The, The first one in verse 14, it says this, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. So, you know, newsflash, you don't know the future. So you can plan all you want, but you don't know what's coming up. So the principle there is this, that we have a finite view of life. Do you know that? We have a finite view of life. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so why are we making all these plans presumptively without God? We can't see, we can only see this far in front of us, can't we? I can say to you, hey, tomorrow morning, I plan on going to the grocery store. But who's to say tomorrow morning when I get out to my car, it's going to start? Or that it won't have a flat tire and I find myself at Les Schwab instead of the grocery store, right? We don't know that. You can say, I've got a plan. I'm going to spend the afternoon out on the river. We're going to go paddle boating boarding, and we're going to have a good time. But having lived in the Tri-Cities now for a little bit of time, I know that a windstorm can just pick right up, and that time on the river is no longer any fun, is it, right? So you can have your plan, and it can quickly change because we can't see that far ahead. We don't know what this afternoon, we don't know tomorrow. We have a limited view of life. And so the sooner we can capture that, James says, the better it will be that we have a finite, a finite view of life. Um, but Again, a reason for us to include God because God doesn't have a finite view, does he? He can see the past, present, and the future. So why wouldn't we say, God, you can see everything. Why wouldn't I include you? Because I can see very limited way, right? So he just, it just helps us see. Again, James is so clear and so blunt and so direct. He's like, why are, you, why are you making all these presumptive plans? You can only see so far. But then verse 14, he's giving a second bottom line. It's this, that you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So here's the second bottom line um, statement that, that he wants us to see is this, that you have a finite span of life. 
Your translation might not say mist. It may say um, a vapor, you know, a vapor that is there, and then it poof, goes away. I picture, you know, being in a, in a very cold place, you know, and you, you, you know, breathe out. You're seeing that little puff of like your breath. You see it, and then it's gone. You know what I'm talking about? That's what James is saying, that your lifespan is very, very limited. That it's here and it's gone. On the eternal timeline, it is a blip. And it's over before you know it. It just goes so fast. And you just talk to any parent of a senior right now, and they will tell you, wow, it goes by fast, right? Any parent of a senior would just say, yesterday they were born. Today they're graduating, and it just doesn't make sense. You blinked, and they were, you know, they were walking. You blink, and now they're walking across the stage with a diploma. And it just happens that quick. You're a grandparent and you watch your kid, you know, your grandkids graduate, but it was just yesterday that you graduated from high school. It just, all of a sudden, it goes by fast. And it's not just that it's, we have a short and a finite span of life for, you know, if you kind of see things young, you could live a relatively long life and still have it just go, feel like it's going by so fast. And I know that for many of us, we're like, well, I'm just still young in my mind, right? I still have so much more time. But your body is telling you something different, isn't it? Your body is telling you the clock is ticking. The Apostle Paul says that our body is like a tent, okay? And that's a pretty good picture of our body, isn't it? Because I don't know if you've ever, you know, gone camping with a tent that's old. What happens? It leaks, right? It's, it, 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 it sags, it, 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 uh, it, uh, it just breaks down, it just, it's, it no longer works in the same way, and um, that's kind of a, a realistic and blunt picture for just our bodies, that they are breaking down. So whether we know it or not, it's going fast. And it says here in this passage, it says, it's here for a little while and then vanishes, now, I don't want to just leave here and, and keep on going on because it's like, well, that's depressing. Um, but, and the truth is, it is it, it, very depressing. If that's it, if you have no faith, that's very depressing. Arnold Schwarzenegger was in a, had an interview uh, just recently, actually. I just read multiple articles on it just this week that kind of came out. He was being interviewed. He was in an interview with Danny DeVito, and they were at, talking about life, and he was talking about his fear of death, that he's... he's anxious about dying. And, you know, and his bottom line answer was, uh, because that's it. When I'm gone, I'm gone. And I'm going to miss so much. I'm going to miss pumping up. You know, you talked about that. I'm going to miss getting, you know, pumping iron and seeing friends and traveling places. But when it's over, it's over. He said, heaven is a fantasy. That's his view. How depressing is that? That's the, well, it just vanishes. It's over. Fortunately for us, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we have hope, don't we? That this isn't the end. This is temporary blip, but we have eternity with Christ. And by the way, we get a new heavenly body. Can I get an amen there too? Yes. Body 2.0, it's going to be better. The upgrade. Hey, we're looking forward to it, right? That's the hope that we have. So, but we have to recognize this time here on earth is short. We don't know we'll have tomorrow. Does anyone have guarantee over that? No. 
we don't. So James is just being blunt. He's being honest. He's simply saying, you're making great plans, but guess what? You can't see that far. And by the way, it's going to be over before you know it. So thank you, James. That's so very much, so very helpful. Is there a better way? Yes, there is. This is, if you're taking notes, verse 15 is the better way. He says this, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And so, again, if it is the Lord's will, do you hear the difference there? There is a better way of planning. Not um, coming to God with my plans and saying, hey, here's where I'm going, you know, bless it. It's saying, God, if it's your will, you'll bless me in my plans. It's a different way of looking at things. It's including God in the equation. And the challenge again for us is, means that we have to step aside. We have to say, I'm going to get off the throne and put God on the throne of my life where he belongs and say, God, if it's your will, I can implement this plan. What is it that you desire for me? What is it that you want? It's a completely different orientation, but it's an orientation of faith. I wouldn't expect anyone who doesn't have faith in God to have this kind of orientation. But if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, it would make sense that you follow Jesus, right? And then the question that then comes from that is, well, if it's the Lord's will and I'm following his will, how can I know his will? How can I know God's will? Well, fortunately for us, God doesn't just say, hey, here's life, good luck, and leave us all on our own. But instead, he says, here's your life, and guess what? I'm giving you resources in this life so that you can know how to navigate it, how to find my will, how to live in my will. He's given us the resources. And so let me just quickly give you kind of the, the different ways that God has revealed his will to us that we can follow and we can trust. How do we find God's will and, and for our life? Well, first of all, we look to God's word, scripture. We look to God's will. And that's why when we come together at South Hills Church, we study the Bible. We're a Bible church. We're a Bible teaching church, a Bible following church, a Bible obeying church. That's what we are. That's what our church family is because we need God's guidance to guide us, to say, God, so much of what you have called us to is clear. We don't have to guess. <laughs> Husbands, love your wife. Oh, that's pretty clear, right? When you're a follower of Christ, you begin to go, okay, well, now what does that look like? How do I do that? Because the command is clear. Parents, train up your kids in, in, in understanding and instruction of the Lord. Okay, parents, you've got a plan. That's part of God's will for you. And here's the deal. As we interact with God's word, as we read God's word, study God's word, memorize God's word, this amazing thing happens. He renews our mind. And we begin to understand that's what's on your mind, God. This is how you want me to live. And it helps you have clarity in the midst of a world that is very confusing and a world that's going to give you counter messages to uh, the Christian message. And so by looking to God's word, we can have clarity in terms of what God is thinking, what God desires, and how it is we're to follow him. So I'll keep on going. We can spend a lot of time there. Prayer, another one. I love this. That God invites us to talk to him. How cool is that? That when Jesus says, here's how you should pray, he says, our father. He says, it's, it's, he puts it it's a, in a relational terms. That we can approach him 
as our dad, as a father, and a perfect father, by the way, who listens and wants to help, guide, coach, jump in. That's who God is. It's a relational um, uh, process, and we can come to him and say, God, I need your help. God, I need your wisdom. God, I need direction. He wants to hear from you, and he promises to answer. So this is, this is part of how we find God's will. Another one, it's just so great, wise counsel. That God has not only given us his word, and he's given us the, the ability to come and talk to him, but he's also given us people who also um, have faith that we can follow. There's people that God has put in your life that have a genuine faith in Christ that you, um, God's given to you as a resource. Take advantage of them. Not in a terrible way. Actually, that sounds a little bad, right? That sounds weird, but take advantage of the resources of the people that God has placed in your life. There's someone who's a follower of God. Not that they've got it all perfect and they've got it all figured out, but if they've been married longer than you and their marriage seems to be thriving, you go up to them and say, hey, can I spend some time with you? Because I'm still trying to figure out how to be the best spouse I can be in my marriage. This see someone who's had, uh, who's, uh, you know, had teenagers, and you're trying to figure out what does it look like to be a parent of teenagers, and you're like, hey, this is what I'm encountering. This is what I'm going through. Have you ever had to go through that or encounter it? Can I listen to you? Can I gain some wisdom? You look for wise counsel from the people that has, God has given to you. You have some money. You can go to someone and say who's got for wisdom and say, how would you recommend I invest this? I want to buy a house. How would you recommend I go about doing so? It's, there's people, resources that God has given to us to help us find his will and make wise choices. And so we can't miss this great gift that God has given to us. Then the fourth one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you place your faith in Jesus Christ. He's given the Spirit. His Spirit indwells you. And the Holy Spirit can guide you and lead you. And sometimes that's through um, very simple ways, and it can be also very profound ways where the Holy Spirit guides you, leads you. We have to remain sensitive to God's Spirit within us as we navigate life. But these are the resources that God has given to us. So He doesn't abandon us and leave us on our own. It's a fantastic truth, um, and it's important for us to get. Now, as we follow God, there's still also, again, James wants us to to trust him, to follow him, but there's also some uh, reminders that James wants to give to us that we, where we can get off track uh, again. And so that's where, if you're a note taker, the last, last part of this verse, this 16 and 17, is the brutal facts, where James again says, hey, let me be very honest and be very clear where you can get um, off track in terms of how you live and the planning you have. So look at verse 16, it says this, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. So, by the way, in this verse, you'll see that God is not against planning, strategizing. That's okay. But what he is against is arrogant scheming, right? Arrogant strategies, arrogant plans. And arrogant comes from a a proud position that says, God, my will, my way. I'm going to do this so I look good as opposed to, God, I'm doing it so you look good. Do you see see the difference there? That's what God's opposed to. Not planning, presumptive planning that says we're at the center of the universe and everything else needs to work around me. That's what he's, he's opposed to. And by the way, it's interesting, he uses the word, it's evil. I mean, if I make plans without God, I would just chalk that up as foolish. But James says, it's evil. Okay, James, tell us how you really feel right? That's a little convicting. 
It's not just foolish, it is evil. And so then he goes on to say, now what, look, at, look at further. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So if you know the good you ought to do, but don't do it, it's a sin. And this is a kind of an interesting concept. And James really, this verse is kind of like helps pinpoint kind of the different ways that we can look at sin and approach sin. And so I'll just kind of help you see it. And maybe you're aware of this already, but there are sins of commission and sins of omission. Um, Sins of commission are the things that we know are wrong, but we do it anyway. You steal. That's a sin of commission. You lie. You do it. You lie. You're guilty. That's the idea. Commission is something that you do um, that you know is wrong. A sin of omission, omission, you get the word omit, right? It's something you don't do, but it's still wrong. Just to kind of, you know, very simply, the commission is I've littered. Omission is I've walked by the litter and like, uh, I know I need to pick it up and throw it away, but I don't, right? That's the difference um, in a very, very simplistic way. Um, and so he's saying here, James is saying, listen, you can get into trouble in your planning by also when God is leading you, guiding you, you're recognizing his will, and you're still stubbornly holding on to your will, your way, and you don't want to do what God is calling you to do. That also is a sin. So we have to be very, very careful of that. Uh, A pastor told the story that um, just kind of stuck with me. It was about a he, he and his wife received a gift card for a restaurant, and it was his favorite restaurant. He was excited. He's, um, he, he self-admittedly said, I'm very cheap. And so going on a date with my wife wasn't something he would do very often, but hey, gift card to his favorite restaurant, yes, I'm doing it, right? So he finally, you know, they, they finally had the gift card for a while, but finally got around to scheduling it, got there, <clears throat> going to go um, have an, a wonderful meal. He's feeling, of course, very generous, order anything you want. Uh, to his wife or whatever um, that he wants to do because they've got the gift card, right? So they're going through, they have their meal, and he's talked about how during this meal, and he's enjoying his time with his wife, um, he couldn't help but notice that there was an uh, older woman sitting on a, in a table not far from him all by herself. And one of the things that he talked about is it just it, it breaks his heart when he sees someone in a restaurant eating alone. And so that was there, but he was kind of trying to ignore it, right? So turn the chair a little bit, sit there, have, have, enjoy the meal, talk to the wife. But um, this thought came into his mind as he was eating, as he was trying to ignore the fact that this woman's there and it's just breaking his heart, that um, the thought came to his mind, I need to give her my gift card. And he tried to ignore the card, I mean, ignore, ignore the voice. It's like, it must just be the food, indigestion, whatever. It's, you know, it's just, uh, can't be. I mean, this is the card I was given. I'm here with my wife, and this is, this is the meal that I'm to have. But that voice kept nagging, nagging, nagging throughout the whole meal. When, at some point, he's just like, I just, I don't know what to do. But he kept ignoring it. This is my gift card, my meal. At the end of the meal, his wife gets up, and she goes to use the restroom, and he was to kind of like, you know, finish up the bill and uh, meet her out in the, the restaurant lobby to get off the car. And as he's getting up, he just says, I'm going to do it. And he walks over to this woman who is eating alone and said, hey, I just, I want to give you a, a gift card, and I also want to tell you that God loves you. And the woman, her eyes just start to well up, and she starts to just get weepy and says, thank you. 
And I especially needed to hear the reminder that God loves me. In his mind, he's thinking, so do you need the card still? Because, you know, (laughs) if all it was was the encouragement, that's great. Of course, he didn't do that. Left the card, left there. But that for him, if he had walked away when the Spirit was so clearly saying to him, give her the gift card and, and help her hear again a reminder that God loves her, it would have been a sin for him. Do you hear that? When my family and I moved into our house that we lived in in Vancouver, uh, we, we moved into a, a couple that I don't think was super pumped about a family with four kids moving right next to them, right? And uh, over time, though, our family began to build relationship with them and connect with them and uh, became great friends with them. And th- over time, the, the, the gentleman who was our neighbor uh, had a cancer diagnosis, and he was able to live for many years still in remission, but eventually uh, it started to, uh, that battle, he started to lose. And it became clear and clear that uh, his, his uh, body was deteriorating and his lifespan was just getting shorter and shorter. In my heart, we've had many conversations, we've had lots of, you know, interactions, but I, I didn't know where he stood in his relationship with the Lord. And I just remember just, just this heavy burden in my spirit that I need to tell him about Jesus. I can be a neighbor, but am I really being a neighbor if I'm not telling him about the greatest news that anyone could ever hear? How neighborly is that? How loving is that if I don't do it? And so there came a point where I'm like, his name is Vern. Vern, I, I, can I come over and tell you about uh, the, the greatest news that I've ever received. And it's about uh, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. He invited me into his home, and I had the opportunity to sit down with him and his wife and tell them the good news about Jesus. It was just a few months later that he passed away. If I hadn't done it, I would still be kicking myself, Right? life's short. You got to make those moments. And when God is calling you to do something and you don't do it, it's a sin. And there's plenty of opportunities, trust me, where I've missed the opportunities. But we still have to recognize, okay, there's things that we do that are wrong, but there's things that we don't do that could also be wrong. And that's what James is helping us see in our planning. Now, how do we apply this? Let me give you two quick things to uh, application, application before we go. First one is this, live urgently and intentionally. Live urgently and intentionally. Life is short. Life is uncertain, uncertain, so don't waste it. And yes, we need to plan, and we need to plan uh, thoughtfully, and we need to think long-term in terms of our planning. But if we're so focused on long-term that we miss the urgent needs right in front of us, we can miss a whole lot. And so we need to live urgently and we need to live intentionally. You don't know if you have tomorrow. So live today as if it's your last. And guess what? Today's a good day to tell someone that you're sorry. Today is a good day to tell someone that you forgive them. Today's a good day to tell somebody you love them. 
Today's a good day to tell someone I'm clearing off my schedule and I'm making some time on my calendar because I want to spend some time with you. Today is a good day to tell someone you love about Jesus. Live urgently. Live intentionally. Don't miss the opportunities. This passage helps us see how important that really is. And we can lose it in the midst of all of our big plans, the moments and the opportunities right there in front of us. Here's the second application. The second application is this. Live humbly and courageously. Live humbly and courageously. Again, humbly is simply saying, God, here's my plans. And I, and I, you, I know you want me to plan. You want me to live wisely, but I'm living humbly. That is, I'm laying them at your feet. And I'm trusting you and submitting to you in terms of where I go, how I implement it. God, I'm seeking your will in the process. It's not me charging ahead and saying, come on, God, follow along. It's saying, God, you lead, and I'm planning and processing, and I'm pivoting as you take me forward. But it's a humble position because you're second, not first. So live humbly. But then there's a courageous side too, where God calls you to do something, you do it. You courageously do it. Can I remind you of what James said in chapter 1? It says this, James 1, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to do, and that takes courage. All of us have, um, want to have plans and want to live wisely, and we want to live urgently. Um, and, but if we're wise, all of us can't move forward on our own doing it. We still have to step back and say, God, I want to humbly follow you. And the best way we can do that is just to come into his presence together and pray and ask him to lead us and guide us. And so let's take a moment and let's pray together. As we come before the Lord today, I just want to give you a moment, just you and God. And this is a moment, if you're here and you recognize that you have never made the greatest life pivot, which is trusting in Jesus with your life, this could be that moment for you. Jesus is inviting you to trust him. Trust that he's trustworthy. Trust that he has a plan. Trust that he is a heavenly father who wants to forgive you, who wants to give you life, and he wants to give you a future hope of heaven. And so if you're here today and you've never made that decision to just trust in him, this is that time. I just invite you to tell him, God, I'm... I'm ready to abandon my plans and trust in your plan. I'm ready to abandon confidence in myself and put my confidence and hope in your work on the cross. That you came and you died on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven and have life. Please lead me and guide me. Some of you just need to maybe recommit to being a a follower to say, God, I've been running hard. I know you, but I've been running hard on my own. And this is that moment for you to say, God, I'm sorry. I want you back in the equation and I want to trust you with all the plans in my life. God, we together come before you and we just, it only makes sense, God, 
um, if we claim to be followers of you, to truly give you all of our plans and decisions and follow you in those ways too. But God, we need your help because we, we tend to want to grab back. We tend to want to run ahead. But Lord, help us to wisely trust you, follow you, seek your will in our lives. We thank you, Father, that you're a trustworthy God um, because it's not just that you say you love us, but you did something about it. You sent your son Jesus for us. We thank you for this. God, help us to be people who receive your grace and follow you by your power. We pray this, God, in your name. Amen.